When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, and as always, alongside me, fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Hey, man, can't complain much. Uh, same old, same old, pretty much. It's a little uh, wet and dreary here today, which uh, here in downtown, which I'm assuming is roughly the same thing in Pittsburgh, but um, all, all, all together good. We got some a little bit more hockey to talk about this week, thankfully, uh, outside of last week, we only had like one game or something to cover. That we do, Robbie. We have uh, we have we have multiple games to cover, uh, and we have one big milestone to talk about, which I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're already familiar with, and we'll get to that momentarily. Let's start. Uh, let's start with the Ottawa game. The Penguins played the Ottawa Senators on February 10th, 2022. A game that didn't feature a lot of offense, Robbie, but a game that the Penguins found a way to score twice. Uh, the Penguins win 2 nothing over uh, a rebuilding Ottawa Senators team, one that featured Matt Murray. Matt Murray, former Penguins goaltender, uh, who played, really played well, all things considered, Robbie, finished making 42 saves on 43 shots. Good for a 977 save percentage. However, he takes the L in this one in his first game playing against his old club. Penguins win 2 nothing. Goals from Jeff Carter and Brian Rust gets the empty netter uh, at the end of the third period. Uh, Robbie, Pittsburgh outshoots the Senators 44-26. to They go 0-2 on the power play, win 49% of their faceoffs. Uh, like I mentioned, not a lot of offense here, but what did you take away from uh, a nice, comfortable 2-0 victory over the Senators on February 10th? Uh, I took away the, a couple of things from this game. One, I, I want to start uh, by saying that I'm really glad to see Matt Murray performing uh, at the level that he is because there was obviously uh, some very rough patches there, not even just in Pittsburgh, but last year, his first year in Ottawa. Um, Matt Murray is forever a legend in Pittsburgh. I will 
I won't take, I mean, I'm free to criticism of his play, but I will take no Matt Murray slander uh, around these parts because, I, again, I, you don't need to look too hard to see what makes Matt Murray a legend in Pittsburgh. So very glad to see uh, Double M, uh, Muzz as they called him here in Pittsburgh, uh, rebounding, looking good, looking happy, uh, and finding a place for himself still in the NHL and being a productive goalie. And I, I mean, Ottawa, yeah, standings are not a great team. That team battles. And that is more than you can say of Ottawa teams in the last five years, I think. Is this team, they're scrappy. They got a lot of young talent. They got guys that can score. So overall, I think that um, my biggest takeaway from this game outside of the Penguins win was uh, Ottawa. I mean, I, I know it's, it's Ottawa, Eugene Melnick, all that stuff has to be factored in, but that's a team that looks like uh, showing a lot of promise and that could be very competitive here in the next uh, two or three years. So my biggest takeaway was more so what the Senators brought to the table than what the Penguins did. Obviously, it was great to see the Penguins get that win, kind of keep building on that momentum um, after the All-Star break and be able to put that four-game uh, losing streak behind them as quickly as possible. So the Penguins move forward February 13th, a game against a divisional rival. However, it's not one of the top-tier divisional rivals at the moment, that being the New Jersey Devils. The Penguins win this game by a score of 4-2, to two, but not before Jack Hughes had anything to say about that. Jack Hughes gets his 13th goal of the season, gets the Devils out in front uh, towards the middle portion of the second period of play. However, Mike Matheson who is playing some of the best hockey of his career at the moment, gets his seventh goal of the season to level everything up. And we go into the third period of play where things get a little bit more crazy from an offensive standpoint. Brian Rust, 36 seconds into the third period, gives the Penguins the lead. Nico Heischer, however, would get the equalizer for the Devils, his 13th of the season at the 251 mark of the third. Big man Brian Boyle gets his sixth goal of the season at the 658 mark of the third period of play. Uh, puts the Penguins out in front 3-2, to two, and Drake Gensel would get the empty netter. Pittsburgh wins 4-2 to two here. They outshoot the Devils 35-30, to 30, win 55% of their faceoffs. They do go 0-3 on the power play. Uh, they outhit the Devils 20-19, to 19, according to the NHL's official website. Robbie, two points in the division. Again, it's not you're, you're not playing the Rangers or the Hurricanes just yet, but two points within the division. Uh, against an inferior opponent at this stage. The Devils are not going anywhere. They are another team that is in the midst of trying to put the pieces together. Hopefully they have underperformed to some uh, expectation, some belief. But uh, look, they're not going anywhere this year. The Penguins get two points. They move on. What did you take away from Penguins-Devils from February 13th? Uh, my takeaway was that this was a Sunday afternoon road game in Newark against the Devils. This, if you would have shown me the schedule at the beginning of the season and this game, I don't know, was this a game that was on the original schedule? I believe so. No, it I wouldn't believe have been. It. No, because <laughs> at, at this point, every game these couple weeks would be makeups because they were originally, right. they would have originally been scheduled. Um, uh, this would have been the Olympic break. So, yeah. So, yeah, if you would have shown me this game when it was rescheduled and I would have probably been like, we'll put that down as a loss because. The Penguins struggle in Newark. They always, the Devils always seem to give them a battle, and it was a Sunday afternoon game. They just wanted to get home and watch the Super Bowl. Uh, Reports where they were going to Crosby's house to watch the game. So, uh, yeah, in a game where I would have put it down as an L, I will take a win no matter how it comes. 
And this game, hey, they did what they had to do against a team that uh, they should beat. And again, it doesn't always have to be pretty. Uh, these games, I mean, they're still playing professionals. So you take the win, uh, a good showing uh, on the road in a game that uh, they could have easily just uh, sleepwalked through and gone on to uh, just got on the plane and returned home. But um, another big two points here on the road, uh, and they sweep this little road trip they have uh, with Ottawa and New Jersey. So, Robbie, we move forward to February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. This was the game that a lot of Penguins fans and perhaps even players and personnel had circled on their calendar for some time. The Penguins return home to face off against their bitterest of rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers. And the talk of the town, the talk of the town for the last week or so, and we even touched on it last week, was Sidney Crosby approaching 500 career goals. Would we get some sort of fairy tale kind of story to be told on home ice in front of his fans? Would he score his 500th goal against the team that he probably hates the most throughout the entirety of the NHL, the Philadelphia Flyers? And I can report that Sidney Crosby did, in fact, score his 500th goal. The Penguins win. They beat the Flyers in overtime by a score of 5-4. to four. Robbie, this was a very up-and-down game. There were uh, positives and negatives to take away. Uh, most notably, a lot of criticism came towards Casey DeSmith's way. Casey DeSmith had played relatively well in this last stretch of games. It looked like over the last two or three games that he had started previously, he was starting to get that confidence back. And I, I don't know, Robbie, if if he had sort of regressed mentally, if, if something had gotten inside his head. He didn't have the best showing here as he makes 23 saves on 27 shots, good for an 852 save percentage. Uh, he gets bailed out. Let's be honest, Robbie. He gets bailed out in the third period by goals on the power play from Jake Gensel to make it four to three Philadelphia and uh, a goal from Chad Ruedel of all people get Chad gets his first goal of the season. First goal. And I think I re remember hearing on the broadcast, it was his first goal in 90 something games, 92 games or something like that. Casey DeSmith gets bailed out. The Penguins go into overtime. 31 seconds into overtime, Chris Letang, who I have not mentioned to this point, played a fantastic game for all of the Chris Letang haters on social media. He capped off, put the cherry on top with a fantastic individual effort to score the game-winning goal, 31 seconds into overtime. Sidney Crosby gets his 500th goal on uh, on the power play at the 1634 mark of the first period. It's kind of poetic, Robbie, that Crosby's 500th goal comes with the lone assist uh, via Evgeny Malkin. There's some poetry there to to uh, take away when looking at that uh, on the score sheet. But there was a time where I thought Casey DeSmith's uh, back-and-forth play, up-and-down play, might have put a damper on the vibes, the, the positive vibes and all the feel-good stories coming out of this. But the Penguins beat the Flyers in overtime. They get two points. They move forward. And as we record this, they're currently playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. But looking back, Robbie, looking back at the pomp and circumstance and knowing that the Penguins walked away with two points against the heated, hated Flyers, what did you like? What did you dislike from the February 15th game against Philadelphia? What I liked is with the last two games, it's a big dub. Um, obviously, Crosby getting the fifth hundredth goal of his career was the big story. It was the talking point going in after he didn't score against New Jersey. 
it just felt like that it was happening in this game and it did in the first period it it was just it, it it's um if you've seen uh the the marvel movies especially the ones with thanos in them uh the quote i am uh, inevitable and that is kind of what it felt like when crosby stepped on the ice this game that it was coming at some point and it did and on the power play assist from Evgeny malkin the only thing that would have made it uh, a little more uh, special was maybe if Latang would have got uh, a stick on that puck uh, to get an, an assist on that goal. The, the big three all would have uh, combined for uh, uh, together on that milestone. It kind of felt like uh, when Kunitz uh, was the goal scorer on Crosby's thousandth point uh, back a couple of years ago, it felt with all the chemistry they'd had over the years, all the work they'd done together, it felt fitting that uh, Kunitz was the one getting that goal. But uh, other than that, I mean, one, again, a game they could have laid over, all that emotion coming into that game, trying to get Crosby that goal. And then all of a sudden they're down 4-2 heading into the third period. A good thing for the Penguins is the Flyers are very bad. Uh, They're bad in a way that almost feels different than New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey feels bad but improving. The Flyers feel bad, but let's send a nuke in. Uh, to fix that franchise because they Carter Hart, all that promise he showed that one year seems to just have completely evaporated. The Penguins are clearly far and beyond better than their interstate rivals. And it showed in this game, they just kept fighting, fighting, fighting. Next thing you know, all of a sudden you look down, it's four, four. And then Crystal Tang, who was just a monster in this hockey game, one of the pay this man now kind of moments uh, finishes it off uh, pretty much on his own. Uh, in overtime. So, I mean, you you love the win, you love the comeback, and you love who they beat. But most importantly, it was kind of a night where, uh, regardless of the result, you could kind of look back and think about Crosby and everything he's done for this team, this franchise uh, throughout the years. It's just, and it's just, it feels like that he's so far from over at this point that there's going to be many more milestone moments that we get to talk about uh, in, in these next few seasons. Hopefully that is the case, Robbie. Hopefully, uh, and we talked about it last week, maybe maybe the possibility of catching or eclipsing Lemieux's uh, total goals, uh, total franchise goals. Uh, I think Lemieux sits at uh, 690, if I do remember. So uh, absolutely, Robbie, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, it, it's been a blast to watch Crosby for as long as you and I have been able to do so. And for the rest of the Penguins fandom, uh, just watching what he does on on a nightly basis has been incredible. And we, we've been so blessed to witness all of this greatness over the last 35, 40 years uh, since the arrival of Mario Lemieux. Uh, I tell everybody as often as I can, and I know I've said it a thousand times on this podcast, don't take it for granted because, Robbie, you lived through it. I, I was a bit younger, but you definitely lived through those lean years in the uh, the late 90s slash early 2000s. Those Penguin teams weren't, uh, to put it kindly, they, they weren't the best on-ice product uh, compared to what had come before it or what has come since then. So don't take anything for granted when it comes to Sidney Crosby. Robbie, I want to I want to move forward, and I know each week we we talk about maybe we we'll talk about an individual player or an individual aspect of the team uh, that I like to focus on f- for each episode of the podcast. This week, I want to talk about a player who has really become sort of uh, I, I don't know if he's become uh, he's gathered some sort of a cult following, but 
it's become really a feel-good story at this point in the season for the player and the team. This week, I want to talk about Brian Boyle. Admittedly, Robbie, Brian Boyle has proved me wrong at every turn. His stats aren't eye-popping at 37 years old. He's clearly a pretty slow skater on the ice compared to his Penguin counterparts. He's played in 37 games this year. He has six goals, three assists, nine points. Um, you know, his, his possession metrics, they're Corsi and Fenwick, they're, they're not, they're not really all that great, but that's not what the Penguins brought him in for when they brought him in to, uh, to training camp, when they were dealing with injuries to Crosby and Malkin, um, they knew that Brian Boyle was a 37 year old Boyle himself did not play last season. Uh, he's looking for that final chance to see if he can capture a Stanley Cup. But Robbie Boyle, Boyle has become a, a fairly integral part to this this bottom six. And especially now that Bluger, Teddy Bluger, has been injured, and I think he's going to be out for the, the foreseeable future. I have a question for you this week. Assuming that everyone is healthy come playoff time, and that's a pretty big if considering we, uh, we're, we, we cover the Penguins basically uh, – and we know that the Penguins are one of the NHL's most injured teams. Would you continue to deploy Brian Boyle as that that role player on the fourth line, or uh, maybe for a better description, that veteran glue guy, uh, like a Matt Cullen was, the, the kind of player that a lot of old-timey hockey players describe as, these are veterans that you just need in the locker room and you need on the ice. They may not pop off on the score sheet all that often, but these are the veterans that you need to win championships. Would you continue to deploy Boyle in a similar fashion that he's in right now, or would you roll with the best players available when everyone is healthy, Uh, assuming that they roll with Crosby, Malkin, Carter, and Bluger down the middle through the four forward lines, and would you possibly keep Brian Boyle in the reserves? I mean, as long as you need Brian Boyle, I don't see any reason you don't play Brian Boyle. And uh, when everybody's healthy, I mean, knock on wood, that actually happens at some point. Uh, I think that I mean, it's a good it's a good problem to have when you're looking at uh, squeezing a guy out of the roster, but that guy could easily be in your roster. So I think if um, if it comes to that, um, Jeff Carter said the other day that he's very comfortable playing uh, playing uh, the wing. So maybe they move him to the wing if they can get Boyle in the lineup. Boyle has, as you said, exceeded every expectation that anybody could have possibly had coming into the season uh, when he joined on a PTO for uh, training camp and now suddenly is uh, an integral part of this Penguins roster. That him, he kills penalties, he generates a good pressure when he's uh, on that fourth line. I mean, he's, he's given you exactly what more than you expect. You don't expect him to go out there and give uh, 80 or, or 80, yeah, like 20 minutes a night, 80 points a season or anything like that. Not even, I mean, he's so much more to that uh, for the Penguins than just the guy that banks the points. He's consistent, he's solid. I mean, you don't need him to be out there scoring a bunch of points. Just do what he does, kill penalties. Play solid when you're on the ice, uh, win some faceoffs. Um, so yeah, I think as long as there's a spot for him, you play him. And if it gets to the point where he's your uh, he's your 13th skater, hey, that's a good problem to have as well in case something does happen uh, to one of those guys. He can easily come out of the press box, lace on the skates, and get out on the ice and 
and and be effective. So, yeah, I think as as long as there's a spot for him, Brian Boyle is is in is in the lineup. And if they think that he's valuable enough that they have to make room for him, whether it's moving Carter to wing or uh, trying some different line combinations, then I'm going to trust Mike Sullivan in this case because Brian Boyle has exceeded every expectation that anybody could have had when he uh, came into Penguin training camp this year. He's been uh, truly a, a diamond in the rough, if you can say that for a guy that's been around so long, uh, kind of fine for the Penguins, giving him a chance. Um, and everything he's been through uh, with cancer, and I mean, he's played on about what feels like 10 different teams in his career. He's just been such a, uh, he's such a good story too. And having a guy like that, um, that I mean, he's going to want a cup. He's going to do everything he can to get a cup. He's going to give you his best. And he could very well be a glue guy like Matt Cullen was uh, those years they won. So I think as long as the space is there, Brian Boyle is is, is lacing up his skates every night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I agree, Robbie. It's definitely been a good story uh, when you when you examine the entirety of the career of Brian Boyle. And I agree, it's definitely a good problem to have if you're Mike Sullivan, having all of that depth that you can count on. And th- that depth that you probably will need over the course of a long and arduous Stanley Cup playoff journey from the, the middle slash end of April through the end of May, early June. So definitely a good problem to have. Uh, all the best again to to Brian Boyle for for playing this way at 37 years old yeah, yeah. to to try and just get that one last opportunity to capture uh, a Stanley Cup given all that he has gone through. So uh, definitely a good problem to have. We'll see how he continues to get deployed uh, further on as the Penguins continue to inch ever closer to the end of the regular season as they look to put the finishing touches on what has been a very impressive regular season thus far but we will switch gears now to the mailbag segment if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you you'd like to contribute to this mailbag segment you can do so by following our pensburg podcast twitter account every week we will put out a, a mailbag tweet asking for your participation the listener participation and this week, Robbie, we have seven questions, a jam-packed mailbag, and we're going to get through every single one of them. Robbie, like always, you will get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one out of three, he has he takes the first three questions here. Question number one comes from Brian. He asks this, between Chris Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis, or the Jake Gensel-Brian Rust combination, which line combination has been more impactful throughout Sidney Crosby's career? When I saw this question in the um, format, I, I was really intrigued by it. And I think there's no doubt which it's the more skillful. I think it's definitely uh, Jake Gensel and Brian Russ, even if it's Jake Gensel carrying the bulk of that load, because Jake Gensel has uh, proven time and time again, he's not just a product of uh, Sidney Crosby. And that's not even, I mean, Brian Russ can uh, probably claim that as well, because Brian Russ is uh, working himself to a very good payday. Um, I think more impactful to Sid's career. I'm going to say that Gensel and Russ, because I think that 
even if just Gensel remains after the season, he could do a lot to extend Crosby's career. Uh, meaning that, I mean, a guy that talented uh, is going to allow Crosby to rack up even more points, maybe hang around a year or two longer, uh, just because he's such a good finisher that Crosby has full confidence in him to uh, put the puck in the back of the net and get Crosby the puck when he needs it. So I think that way, that combination, especially if Russ hangs around after this year, uh, could go a long way in terms of maybe boosting his numbers more than a Kunitz or Dupuis did. As good as those two guys were, they were never the goal scorers that, especially the Gentowitz, and even Rust in a way that, and I love Chris Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis, but I would definitely go with Gensel and Rust, especially when looking forward to what they could potentially help Crosby do uh, in these coming years in terms of setting more milestones, setting records, uh, and moving his way up the uh, all of these leaderboards here in, as his career uh, reaches its reaches its end at some point. Uh, question number two, as you mentioned, also from Brian. Uh, what statue does Siv had, have outside of PPG when it's all said and done? You have to make a case for a down-to-one knee pose considering he scores that way regularly, perhaps when he split the D against Buffalo and scored one-handed. Last week on the podcast, I, I brought up Crosby and some of our favorite goals that he scored, and that Buffalo, the Buffalo one, he scored one-handed. Uh, I've made the case for time and time again that that should be the the statue goal. But I went through, uh, I went through a little bit of a time machine. Uh, there have been quite a few goals where Crosby is able to split the D and uh, come out uh, as the goal scorer there. The one, the other one that I may. Uh, I mean, there were three. Two of them were against the Islanders. He split the D and netted an overtime winner in December of 2013. Uh, in February of 2014, he split the D against the Buffalo Sabres again and scored a pretty impressive goal on Ryan Miller. The one, the one other one that I would suggest to make it a statue goal would be Crosby splits the defense and scored uh, an incredible goal in the first, uh, I believe it was the first, round one of the playoffs against the Islanders in 2013. Uh, if you go back, if, if anyone has a chance to go back and find it on YouTube, uh, I, I saw a lot of people describe it almost identical to how Mario Lemieux scored his statue goal. Uh, but, but Robbie, even, even taking this short trip down memory lane, seeing how explosive Crosby was uh, in his leaner, younger years, it's it is certainly a sight to see. And let's not discount anything Crosby's done to this point. But going back to the original question, uh, it has to. I, I would go with the one-handed Buffalo goal, but I could easily be persuaded to take one of these uh, one of these miraculous goals where he's able to split the D, a la Mario Lemieux. Question number three, Robbie, again from Brian. He goes. Lastly, I'm sure you've seen the reports on the Washington Capitals trying to acquire Marc-Andre Fleury via trade. What are your thoughts on this? How great is it that he has declined the offer to be traded there multiple times? Brian says, you can take the player out of Pittsburgh, but you can't take Pittsburgh out of the player. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard any of the rumors of him declining a trade to Washington, so um, if that is, that is kind of funny. I think a part of it is he doesn't want to move again. Uh, his family is in Chicago. Um, I, I don't, I don't think he's a fan of moving in the middle of a season, not that he couldn't move somewhere in the off season with more time to, uh, 
get his family uh, more situated. But I'm sure he doesn't want to be away from them. He's very close with his wife, uh, as we know from his time here in Pittsburgh, his his two girls and son. Uh, so I think a part of it is probably he doesn't want to uh, he doesn't he just doesn't want to uproot his family uh, in what will be March uh, to go for what could be just a short stay in the nation's capital or somewhere else. If he would come up in other rumors, there was uh, talk that maybe Vegas might be interested in reacquiring him because um, apparently that's something that they didn't think about uh, back when they traded him in the summer. So uh, maybe he's more tempted to go to Vegas where he has familiarity. His kids know uh, the situation. They're comfortable there. Uh, who knows? But um, my thoughts on it, I mean, I can't blame Washington for trying to win. That's the point of running a hockey franchise. Would it be weird seeing him in the Washington jersey? Um, unbelievably weird. Uh, but, I mean, that's that's a business. Uh, and the Capitals are going to do everything they can to uh, put the best team on the ice uh, every night. So I, I don't blame them for going after them. But I also understand why he reportedly may have rejected uh, trades, uh, not just the Washington, but uh, other places if they uh, if people come asking. Question number four from Brendan. Uh, given the yield for Tyler Toffoli, who was just traded to Calgary, what do you think we could get for uh, Kapanen or Zucker? Uh, fairly close stats the last few years. And should we even trade Kapanen or Zucker? So for those unaware of the current situation, as Robbie mentioned, uh, forward Tyler Toffoli was traded to the Calgary Flames. Uh, traded to the Calgary Flames for in exchange for... NHL forward Tyler Pitlick, uh, prospect Emil Heineman, a first-round pick in 2022 and a fifth-round pick in 2023. Tyler Toffoli is a very good top-six forward, but looking at what the the Flames acquired him for, Pitlick, who is an established NHLer, uh, I think he's more of a depth player, the 20-year-old prospect, a first-round pick in 2022 that's top 10 and protected and a fifth-rounder in 2023. That's quite the haul, Robbie. If that's going to set the tone for the trading deadline a month from now, we could be seeing some very interesting conversations. But uh, what could we get for Kapanen or Zucker? Well, I went on Cap Friendly to look at Tyler Toffoli's contract situation. He has a cap hit of $4.25 million for the next two years uh, following this season through the 23-24 season. Uh, Kapanen is a restricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, given at how Mike Sullivan has deployed Kapanen at this point, it, it could be that both decide to go their separate ways. That's unless he is traded. Kapanen's cap hit is $3.2 million right now. I'm not sure how much money both Kapanen or Zucker are owed for the remainder of the regular season. Zucker has a modified no-trade clause. He submits a 10-team no-trade list, and he is signed through the end of next season at a cap hit of $5.5 million. So you're looking at roughly Kapanen and Zucker are roughly a little over eight, almost $9 million in salary cap room. Uh, if either of them are traded, what could you get for them? See, this is the kind of conversation and like hypothetical that I'm not, I'm not sure on because I I really don't under I really don't know the trade market. If Tyler Toffoli is going to get that kind of a haul, a prospect, a player, and a first round pick, then Robbie, wouldn't it make sense if Tyler Toffoli 
yields that, that Jason Zucker, when healthy, granted Zucker hasn't been healthy and hasn't really put up the best stats alongside Malkin or Kasperi Kapanen, who is young and has speed and is a right-hand shot, has been inconsistent. I don't know if Kapanen or Zucker could yield a first-round pick if either of them were involved in separate trades. Um, but if either of them were traded, you know, you're obviously shedding that salary cap room, which is precious for the Penguins at this point, which is a positive. They both players really haven't worked out to this point, given their, uh, given their host of issues with, with Zucker, it's injury and with Kapanen it's been his inconsistency on the ice. So I would entertain a trade for Kapanen or Zucker, but I, I wouldn't be holding your breath. If, if you, if you think that Kapanen or Zucker could get a first round pick back. But what do I know? Either the trade market, uh, it acts out in all sorts of crazy ways this time of year. So uh, hey, if Ron Hextall can get Kapanen or Zucker for a first rounder, I'd say pull that trigger uh, nine times out of 10. But uh, we'll have to just wait and see on that one. Question number five for you, Robbie, also comes from Brendan. Assume Sidney Crosby gets a power play goal for, or, or it's either power play goal or point per game the rest of the season. That's I'm assuming it's point per game. That's 32 points and puts him at, 1403 1403 career points that's 21st all time he will then only need 64 points to be uh at 15th all time which is a reasonable get for uh his production next season all that said brendan wants to know where do you think crosby finishes career in terms of all-time point totals 64 in a season for crosby is uh not even hard i mean considering he's never been under a point per game for his entire career uh, that seems 64, assuming he's healthy, seems like a sure bet if he plays even 80 games, he should be well over that. So, I mean, 64 would put him into 15 uh, above Stan Mikita, but unbelievably uh, would be one spot below defenseman Paul Coffey. Um, so, I mean, what's reasonable? Uh, Crosby's at, right now he sits at 1371. Man, I don't know, top 10? Easily, easily top 10. He's only, he's really only like this year, by this time the season's over, he should be well, he should be well under less than 200 outside of the top 10. Uh, we talked last week about him breaking um, Mario Lemieux's uh, franchise record, which he is now under uh, 400 points uh, to get to. So, I mean, if he breaks Mario's record, he is at eighth all time. So, that puts him there again, and maybe he gets above. Maybe he gets to eighteen hundred. That puts him in uh, fifth place all time above uh, Ronnie Francis and below Gordy Howe. So I'd say anywhere in that five to ten range, assuming good health and good productivity. Uh, I think that's not out of the question with the way Crosby is. He's I know it's he's thirty four. He's gonna be thirty five this year. But he still plays like uh, like a 25, 26-year-old. So as long as that production stays, which it shows no point, no signs of slowing down at this point, I think you could easily see Crosby jump into that uh, top five, top ten uh, by the time it's all said and done. Uh, number six, again from Brendan. Uh, given the talent of Team Canada and USA women hockey continues to grow and the importance legality on huge hits in the NHL decrease, how many years before we see women start getting a shot at NHL teams? Five, 10, 20, or even longer? I, I don't, this is a, this is a tough question. 
I, I do know and understand the how how dominant women's hockey has been here in America. Uh, there have been some elite level talents, and Phil Kessel's sister Amanda has been one of the driving forces behind that that rise in popularity and the rise in in in, in recognition uh, for women's hockey here in the states. Um, so while I'm incredibly proud and impressed to see women's hockey continue to get that recognition, to see that they can play just as well as the men can. I I don't know, Robbie. I don't want to say the NHL is a boys' club because I don't feel like it should be. I feel like it should be open to the best available uh, best available players on the planet. But given the given the um, how do I want to put this delicately? Given the the nature of how the NHL is ran, almost like it is an exclusive boys' club. I don't know if women get into the NHL. If they do, it's going to be, I don't know, within the next maybe 10 to 20 years. I don't know. I'm just ballparking that I, I, because I can't really give you an answer. But just based on what I can tell you about how the NHL is run, almost like an old boys club with, and we talk about all the time, Robbie, the, 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 the negative, the, the negative things that come out with relation to hockey culture and the toxicity that has come out in, in recent months and years about hockey culture. I don't want to say it, but I don't know if women are ever going to get that, that equal chance to, to compete in the NHL as much as I want for it to happen. I, I don't know if it's ever going to be a realistic possibility. Question number seven for you, Robbie. The last one comes from Penn's hen. Is it just Mike Sullivan who decides which player is on which line per game, including the special teams, or will he collaborate with his fellow assistant coaches and or trainers? Uh, there's definitely collaboration, uh, uh, a meeting in the minds. I mean, they're talking all the time, uh, going over tape, going over strategy. Um, so, yeah, there's always input. I'd say, I mean, the final decision is going to come to Sullivan. Absolutely. I mean, he's the head coach. But, yeah, there's definitely – uh, collaboration. That's why they're there um, to give their input. Uh, you have guys that work on the defense. You have guys that work on the offense, the special teams. So, I mean, it's a a combined effort between uh, a lot of people. And that's not just people you see on the bench. It's also going to be some scouts, um, people up in the booth. You have hockey ops departments now uh, when they look at analytics. All that is kind of mainline right to the coach and at the end of the day Sullivan's the one that makes the final decision but there's so much going on behind the scenes that we never see that um, meetings and practices and all this stuff that uh, testing out different things uh, just to see what works and Sullivan goes with what he feels he's comfortable with but at the end of the and at the end of the day he's the one with the final say but everybody in that building is getting uh, some input on where they think guy should be who plays well with whom who should be on the ice in these situations uh, who should be at center who should be at wing that's all discussed at ad nauseum uh behind the curtain so uh but in the end of the day i mean sullivan does get the last last pick but the stuff behind the scenes uh is what we don't get to see is where all the um all the action really happens that we see then put on the ice on game day 
All right. Well, I'd just like to say thank you for everyone who submitted a question this week. Seven questions in a jam-packed mailbag. Really some thought-provoking questions this week uh, for the both of us. I really enjoyed uh, tackling some of those questions from our listeners. Uh, So I really do appreciate that. And that will do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Gareth Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you all right back here this time next week.